streets of Soho in the rain. He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Forks. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. You better not let him in. Little old lady got mutilated day last night. Werewolves of London again. Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode 23 of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. Uh, before we get into this week's movie, let's go ahead and introduce my cohorts. Coming to us from the Horror Podcast Countdown, it is Mr. Don and Ellie. How you doing, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. Awesome. And coming to us from the main show, No More Room in Hell, it is Mr. Derek B. How the hell you doing, Derek? I'm doing good. <laughs> Behind the scenes thing, <laughs> real quick, I accidentally took the my mic thing out before we record, so thank God I got it. That's why I was muted. <laughs> so thank God that I got it all together before. That's why you didn't hear me for a few minutes. <laughs> oh, man. I would say live radio, but yeah, this ain't live. I, mean, I guess it's kind of live. We're recording. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right, laugh. guys. Coming at you. Oh, oh, a little bit of moods. I like it. All right, folks. So uh, let's just get right into it. I don't have a whole lot of uh, pre-movie business to talk about uh, for the first time in what, like four episodes? <laughs> We're not going to bring up Godzilla Minus One. I promise. I promise you. We've talked about that ad nauseum at this point. And granted, I could still talk about it, but we're not going to today. <laughs> today, we're going to take a trip to the UK, specifically uh, a shooting location of Luxembourg, Norway. And we are going to be looking at one of Neil Marshall's early films. Neil Marshall, of course, the director of The Descent. And this one is, of course, Dog Soldiers, coming to us from 2002. Those things out there are real. If they're real, what else is real? You may never get another night's sleep as long as you live. Now, as of this moment, as far as we're concerned, we are 50k behind enemy lines. Now, expect nothing less than gratuitous violence from the lot of you. Every year, more and more people come through here. Every once in a while, they don't come back. Captain! You've got to get me out of here. Looks like they got hit hard and fast. Every magazine is full. From here on in, the exercise is over. Exactly what is it we're fighting against? Lycanthropes. That's werewolves to you and me. You came here because of them, right? This was supposed to be a routine cleaning exercise, and that's all. Yeah, we could survive all that. not running and hiding. Salvage whatever weapons you can find and stand. So, shut down the generator. Why would they do that? Because they can see in the dark. And you're afraid of it. Honestly, what are our chances? So, if little Red Riding Hood should show up with a bazooka and a bad attitude, I'd expect you to chin the bitch. You're bloody looking this, aren't you? Tilly, are you right? Stick the kettle on. Could all do with the blue. This film is rated R with a runtime of one hour and 45 minutes. As I already mentioned, it is written and directed by Neil Marshall. It stars Sean Pertwee as uh, Derek likes to say, the best Alfred. Alfred. 
Nice. Uh, we also have Kevin McKidd, Emma Cleesby, and Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones fame. Um, I forget the name of his character he played on Game of Thrones, and I was a religious viewer of Game of Thrones, but now for the life of me, I can't think of uh, the character he played. And of course, Liam plays our Special Forces Commanding Officer. Our synopsis is as follows. A routine military exercise turns into a nightmare in the Scottish wilderness. Oh, right there, Scotland. All right, so it's Northern England. Uh, it's still the UK. Northern England. Um, all right, so <laughs> I th- this was my pick, and honestly, the, <laughs> the reason I picked it is just because I just recently bought it. I got it for Christmas. Uh, I got the Scream Factory uh, Blu-ray. Um, did not get a 4K or anything, but I got the Blu-ray. And so I figured let's go ahead and discuss this one. And honestly, I mean, the weird. <laughs> anybody who's seen this movie knows the prowess of this movie. We're, we're going to get into it here in a, uh, right now. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in Don first this week. Don, why don't you tell me a little bit about your general thoughts on Dog Soldiers? All right. Well, uh, anybody that's uh, listened to, um, I think it's in season two. Um, I'm not sure what the episode it is, but I, I discussed my top ten werewolf films of all time on there, and Dog Soldiers is number one. Woo! So uh, not only that, but uh, it also is uh, among my top 15 favorite films of all time. I absolutely love this movie. Not many people know this, but uh, this is actually a Sci-Fi Channel original. Um, it came to the states uh, packaged as a, packaged as such. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love everything about it. Um, it is responsible for getting me into uh, the Sci-Fi Channel stuff. As um, I, I first heard about it through that um, when it first came out, I, I knew nothing about it. It was just a new horror movie to watch, and it was like. Oh, sci-fi. I got that. All right. Let's see what this is about. And this absolutely blew me away. I, I love a lot. Uh, I love a lot about this movie. The werewolves, obviously. Um, but I, I also love the folklore that this establishes using, you know, military tactics for, um, you know, you, you still keep your humanity. So they know um, their military training. They know their tactics, but it imbues them with uh, werewolf um you know, strength and smarts and, uh, you know, viciousness. So it just enhances, you know, those kinds of qualities. And, you you know, you see that throughout when it, you know, turns into a, a siege film, which uh, I'm all for. I, I love those kinds of films. And, you know, it produces just tons of just fantastic action sequences. You see all, you know, great confrontations. And you put it all together with, you know, like I said, fantastic werewolf looks, boatloads of gore, and, you know, just the right amount of humor. It's not, you know, chuck out, mm-hmm. chuckle, laugh out loud funny, but, you know, just the right amount. And, yeah, there's just uh, no shortage of stuff I love about this. Um, maybe five minutes too long. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I can't say that, you know, it's a flawless film. Like I said, you know, maybe five minutes too long. No on-screen transformations. I, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, but uh, we don't get any of that on-screen, which is a little bit of a problem. I, I usually prefer that even if they look like dog crap. But, yeah, um, uh, like I said, the the, the flaws to here are minuscule. Um, there's so much to like about it. It's a fun you know, fast-paced film, even, you know, like I said, it's a couple minutes too long. But, yeah, beyond that, great, great time. One of the best out there. And uh, personally speaking, one of my favorite films of all time. So, yeah, I'm uh, definitely on board with this one in uh, many respects. Ah, that's awesome. I had no idea mm-hmm. you had such yeah. high regard for this one. That's great. Yeah, Derek, why don't you come on in here, buddy? Tell me a little bit about what you thought of Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers. Now... I kind of have the same history with Donna because I remember seeing this on Sci-Fi Channel too, and you know, actually, weirdly enough, like the version, that version's actually cut from the one that we watched for this because they didn't have like the whole like scene with Sean Petrie's getting his guts glued back in in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just watch me, fucking watch me. It's fucking great, but uh. Fucking Liam Cunningham, he's fucking plays a great asshole. He should mm-hmm. just play assholes for his whole career. He's just a great actor. Like, uh, 
That's one of the things that kind of intrigued me when Last Voyage of the Meter came out. I'm like, ooh, Liam Cunningham's in this. I'm going to watch that. You know, <laughs> you know, pretty good. Yeah, Dog Soldiers is an interesting movie for me because I, I kind of didn't know, like, this was a near Marshall movie until after, like, The Descent came out. And then I went back to it, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can see the similarities. And then later he did fucking Doomsday, which I also love for other weird yeah. reasons. But then then he did Centurion, which is pretty good. And then his career kind of went for a different road because he started to do a lot of, like, TV work, or like Game of Thrones. No, nothing wrong with that. A lot of good horror directors do TV work. I just saw, like, Brad Anderson directed the first few episodes of the Titans TV show. I'm like, really? That was weird. The guy who did Session 9? Really? But, yeah. uh... Yeah, and then he did that fucking Hellboy remake, and then his career went down the fucking toilet. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything after that is fucking terrible somewhere. Yeah. So just, you know, I tried to give, like, that witch one fucking, and then that lair, which... Oh. Hell, fuck. <laughs> That'd be a good bash episode. Maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Neil Marshall's like I love his early shit, but the more I see of like his newer shit, I'm like, just go back. Some some like even like he had like the budgets of Dog Soldiers and some of those later movies, and they still look like I don't know something's not clicking with those ones. Dog Soldiers I love. I love like Don said like the siege aspect of it. Growing up like seeing like the movie, you see like when a certain character reveal happens where she, this lady ends up becoming like Benny from Total Recall. <laughs> it's the only, pretty much, right? Yeah, but, yeah uh, I'll go with that. <laughs> you know, I got five werewolves to feed. <laughs> you know, fucking, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I kind of liked her, like, kind of like I liked Benny, but then when he turned, it's like, oh, fuck this bitch. You know, I, I kind of I do like that aspect, but I hate because I know what's coming when future rewatches of this movie. Yeah, Dog Soldiers, great movie. I did a top ten werewolf film list a while ago when I still did like YouTube back in the day. I forgot where I had this, and I got Venom. You said you just had the Blu-ray because yeah, is that like the new print of that? No, it's the older one from 2016. Oh, man. Yeah, it doesn't look very good. I was going to say oh. that in my review. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the 4K is, like, mind-blowingly, like, night and day. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, so definitely, like, maybe you get something will be good on your birthday or Christmas or something. I'll ask Santa uh, for it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely got that 4K because it's the best the movie's looked in a while. Confirmed. like, in my... Yeah. yeah, confirmed. I, I have that set myself. All right. So for me, uh, I have a slightly different history with the movie. I did not see it on sci-fi. In fact, uh, you can count me as one of the people who did not know that this was presented as a sci-fi movie for its first American release. I saw this when it uh, got a physical release. I want to say like 2010, maybe 2009, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. It got like a DVD release, and that was the first time I saw it. I think I had rented it. There's Did you get the shitty st- cover one or the cool cover one? I think I got the shitty cover one where it's just like really, really dark with like the silhouette of the wolf in the background. I don't oh, know no, there's even one. shittier cover with like the CGI werewolf. Oh, no, yeah, no CGI. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, like I said, for me, I, I discovered this one a little bit later. But I echo the same things that Don and Derek have already said. This movie is stellar. It's not quite my number one werewolf movie. I'm kind of a basic bitch. I'm sorry, but American Werewolf in London just speaks to me like no other werewolf movie that's ever come out. But Dog Soldiers is my number two, just slightly edging out uh, The Howling. So, yeah, the action in this one is undeniable. Even before the werewolves show up, I mean, you've just got some great just military training exercises. It all looks believable. The fact that they use slightly grainier film stock, and maybe it doesn't look like this on the 4K, but I was noticing that throughout this movie, the forest that these guys are in 
isn't your standard like beautiful lush forest, you know, like a like an idyllic uh landscape type thing. Like this forest is dark, it's raining, so it's muddy, though you know. In fact, on the special features, the um the set designer kind of talks about all the weather problems that they had in Norway filming this because all the outdoor scenes were actually filmed outdoors in a legitimate forest in Scotland. Um, but all of the cabin scenes were actually shot on a soundstage in Norway. So every scene inside the cabin or just outside the cabin, like like out in front of it, that's all a soundstage in Norway. And one of the funny stories that they relate in the special features, too, is that at the time, in the early 2000s, Norway furniture, Norwegian furniture and English furniture were very different stylistically. So they literally had to import all of the furniture, the fixtures, everything that's in that cabin, because none of that was available in Norway. That was all UK designs. So like I said, they imported everything, which just adds more cost to an already expensive independent film. (laughs) So that was kind of interesting. These wolves, man, the design of these wolves is, I, I just, I adore these werewolves. These are probably some of the tallest werewolves I've ever seen in cinema. These guys, yeah. they got to be about eight feet tall, and they are so menacing. And And in an interview on the Blu-ray, Neil Marshall talks about how he didn't want, like, ultra animalistic, uh like, almost like, uh, snarling beast type werewolves. He wanted elegant. He wanted tall, thin, and elegant. And elegant is the word exactly that he used. He wanted elegant werewolves. He wanted werewolves that almost look like they dance when they run, you know, because they're just so fluid in their movement. Yeah, they were dances. He used dances, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then the werewolves <laughs> were, ex- were dancers. Yes, yeah, Scottish, uh, Scottish and English dancers. And Man, it just, it really shows. I mean, unfortunately, we don't get as much just good shots of the werewolves as I would like, at least outside. Inside, we get a lot of great ones, because obviously once the siege starts, it turns into, you know, assault on precinct 13, but with werewolves, and it's just balls to the walls action. But I would have loved to have seen some more shots of the wolves outside, like maybe running and climbing or attacking, whatever the case may be. But, I, you know, I, I'm still very okay, obviously, with the presentation that we are presented here. Um, so love this werewolf design. Now, to Don's point about the lack of transformations, I've always been on in the same camp as Don. Um, a lot of the werewolf movies that I review – tend to hinge on their transformation. And we don't get a true transformation in this movie. In this movie, all of the werewolves are already werewolves when the movie starts. The full moon has already risen. So once the special forces group gets attacked, it's pretty much just nonstop werewolf action after that. You know, with some lulls, obviously, some quiet moments in between. But just, you know, a couple of big sieges on the uh, cabin itself. You know, an attempt at burning the werewolves from a supposed entrance to their lair that they have. Just a lot of great action. Um, and then uh, these performances. These fucking performances are amazing. I am 100% on board with Derek. Sean Purdy, the best Alfred, and what a badass. To me, all of the best comedy in this movie comes from Wells, from Sean Pertwee's character. Oh, God. All of the scenes with his intestines. Oh, my God. The dog trying to eat his fucking intestine. Come on. How painful must that be? (laughs) Uh, And and to his credit, he didn't kill the dog. So because I think most people would probably just turn around and shoot the dog after that. Yeah, you'd be like me and Cunningham shoot the dog. Exactly, yeah. That's the that's one of the things about the movie that is kind of, how do I put this? I don't want to say that it's necessarily questionable or doesn't make sense, but I hate the cold open with our main character, uh, Cooper, from Wells' division when he's trying out for the Special Forces team. Like, that whole scene, I understand that it sets up the confrontation later between Cooper and Ryan, which is, which is fine. Werewolf, right. Yeah, with Werewolf Ryan, exactly. No, uh, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, 
Yeah, the whole thing with shooting the dog and it, it just like how does shooting a dog prove that someone is a good soldier? Motherfucker, I will put a bullet in a person's head a hundred times before I ever hurt a dog. Does that mean I'm not going to be a good soldier? I, yeah, I just it's such a weird test. Yeah, yeah and then they don't like even the, really. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's like it's like I I, I get what. Ryan was trying to do because the dog is giving him the scent. If you don't kill the dog, it'll keep getting after you and getting more soldiers around you. But I get it in the sense where I probably it's like that whole thing in Kingsman too. Shoot the dog, yep. you know, like you know, it's the same fucking thing. I I go, I wouldn't do it. No, it doesn't make sense. Like, why are you asking me to kill a dog to prove my manhood? What, tell me to kill one of your soldiers. I'll do that fucking shit happily. It doesn't. Yeah. Being able to kill an animal doesn't make you a man. It doesn't make you a supreme soldier. So I just don't understand the mentality. I do understand what Captain Ryan was going for. I, I totally do. Yeah. I just don't agree with it. But he's being a dick. Yeah, he's being a wicked dick about yeah. it, too. So. And then they don't even really, like, they bring it up later in the movie, but I honestly, honestly thought that we were going to get, like, Cooper giving some kind of one-liner or something that kind of goes back to that original scene where he's talking about, it's just a dog, shoot it, it's just a dog. I figured, you know, Cooper was going to shoot Ryan in the face and say, you're just a dog, or something stupid like that, you know, just to kind of bring it back. I'm not necessarily saying that's a hindrance on the movie, it was just something that I expected. Maybe if it was an American movie, they would have done it, but, you know, maybe British movies aren't nearly as heavy-handed, and I appreciate that, so honestly, that's not a knock on the movie at all. But, I mean, Liam Cunningham as our human, as one of our human antagonists in this film, just, he really does. Oh, by the way, for um, Game of Thrones fans, Liam Cunningham played Sir Davos, uh, who I believe was, uh, who was, he was part of Renly Baratheon's bunch early on in the series. And then then later on, he splintered off. And just try, you know, kind of did his own thing. Blah 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 blah. So it's Sir Davos for the, for those hardcore viewers. But yeah, holy shit, does he play an incredible heel? You know, he may he may not be the outright villain of this movie, even though he does turn into an antagonist later. He has the attitude of the the main antagonist in this film. I mean, he is so much more matter of fact, you know, than Megan is throughout the film. And obviously, Megan is trying to hide the fact that. She actually is, yeah, part of this little family uh, of werewolves. So, again, beautiful performances. Spoon was awesome. Uh, Fucking Sam the dog, great job. And he survives. The dog survived. Come on. Anytime a a pet survives a horror movie, it's a fucking uh, triumph. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, so like I said, yeah, between the great gunplay in the movie, you know, the great military speak, you know, with them coming up with their plans and, you know, and everything else, it it just adds to the realism of this one. And man, Derek is right. You can tell that this guy is going to direct the descent after this because the descent is easily one of the most claustrophobic films ever made. And this one has that same sense of claustrophobia in the sense of like the evil dead sense of claustrophobia where a group of people are trapped in a cabin. I mean, this, you know, I'm sure this is Neil Marshall's love letter to the evil dead, because as far as the formula goes, this is the evil dead. It's just evil dead with werewolves. And I am yeah. down for it, my friends. <laughs> there are some things about the movie that maybe left me a little sour. Unfortunately, I had to turn on the subtitles because the, the cock, like, Sean Pertwee's cockney accent in this movie, holy shit. Like, yeah. after, after he's injured, I'm, I only catch about half of what he's saying. So it's like, I gotta turn the subtitles on to watch an English movie. <laughs> the guy who tuckered and dailed himself in this movie was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. The guy yeah. who ran into the stump. Holy shit. Instantly, I'm like, Tucker and Dale! No shit! Even though Tucker and Dale was after this movie, but still. <laughs> I thought the intestine scene was really cool when, when Wells first gets attacked and his, his intestines are hanging out. 
And I can already hear a lot of people talking about, oh, that's fake. You know, you can't lose your intestines and survive. No, you actually really can. The werewolf probably just sliced the stomach and the stomach lining. As long as none of the intestines were cut or nicked, he's fine. You, literally, your entire intestines and colon and everything could be hanging out of your body. It still functions properly, you know? So, uh, so yeah, it is definitely a very survivable injury. Yeah, it's um, just know. there's nothing holding it from the uh, outside world. That's the only real difference. I mean, you probably exactly. bleed to death. You bleed yep. to death yep. before anything would happen. But yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why the scene with the dog is even worse. <laughs> Yanking out his intestine. Holy shit! I I do like the kind of the transformation rules here, where it doesn't have to be a bite. It could be a scratch. I've always liked werewolf movies that do that because if you know yeah. anything about cats and felines. You know, they have scent glands on their face, uh, you know, their teeth, uh, or in their mouths and on their claws. So when they're clawing something, they're also kind of leaving uh, a little bit of their scent on it. So it's, it always made sense to me that a werewolf scratch would be the same as a bite. Um, obviously, some werewolf universes have different rules, and that's fine. As long as they establish their rules and they stick to it, I'm cool. And this movie definitely establishes its rules and sticks to it. Cause Explosions kill uh, werewolves. Yeah, because both Wells and Ryan were both attacked, but neither of them were bitten. They were both, you know, injured badly, you know, with claw marks, but, but no bites. And obviously, sorry, spoiler alert. Again, this movie's, uh, what, 22 years old now, so obviously, I should have said this at the beginning, but yeah, uh, we're very obviously doing spoilers for this one. Any movie over 20 years old, I'm okay with doing spoilers. (laughs) The first time that you guys watched this, how long did it take you to figure out who Megan was? I'm talking the first watch, if you remember your first watch. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I caught on until I think it was that one line she says. Because she's in, she's in the kitchen and she has that one line, and then I think everybody looks at her, and then you start to realize that uh, oh, yeah. you know she's you know she's about to you know wolf out. I think it wasn't. <laughs> I, I think it was pretty much when everybody realized it. I think when they realized it, I realized it because I, I had no clue. I mean, this is also I would probably say maybe three or four years into my horror watching journey. I wasn't experienced mm-hmm. enough to catch it. Yeah. I, I had no clue. Um, it was when, it was when they caught on that I caught on to. And it was like, Oh crap. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, yeah. That, that kind of, uh, you know, checks right. out. Yeah. I, I started uh, on first watch and granted it's been about 15 years since the first time I watched it. So I'm going on a memory here. But I do think I started to believe that she was part of the family when she was so comfortable in that house. Like, she knew where everything was. She, you know, she was very comfortable taking pictures off the wall and showing the the, the guys in the troop that this is the family that lives here. It just, it felt too comfortable. Like if, like if she would have said that she married into the family or that she's dating one of the guys in the family, that's one thing. But she literally just said that she, they were acquaintances, but she knows everything in that house. She literally yeah. knows where everything is. So yeah, that, that's kind of where I started to get an inclination. I did notice too that she has three scratches on one of her arms. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It's very faint. Like it looks like it healed up ages ago. But if you look very closely, after she takes off her jacket and she's just wearing that white tank top, there's three scratch marks on one of her arms. So it's like, ah. And that was before the reveal. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of like a heavy-handed way of them saying, ah, ah look at this girl. Because obviously by this point, we've already established that Ryan's uh, heels have almost completely um, healed and Wells you know, intestines that were hanging out are no, now completely in his body with the wound closed yeah. up. So obviously you kind of know where the movie's going with these attacks. I will say I liked Megan. See, the, you said that you made a comment about Megan and Benny about how you liked them both until their reveal. I'm going to disagree. I liked them all the way through. I like the reveal, especially this one with Megan. 
because Cooper is falling in love with this girl. And I don't think that was ever Megan's intention to kind of woo one of these guys. I think that was co- completely coincidental. And then yeah. she has just this shit eating grin on her face when she finally reveals, you know, that she is a werewolf. And it seems like we're going to get our transformation scene. And but, you know, she's sitting there spouting so much garbage and talking to, so much smack to the team that, you know, Wells, Captain Wells is just like, fuck you, shoots her in the head and it's over. I absolutely adore that kill. It, it, I applaud every time I see it, because how many times in horror movies are there characters that just continue to talk and bitch and moan and no one yeah. does anything about it? And finally, yeah. Oh, yeah. loved it. You know what makes it worse now on like this viewing more viewings though after you know because you get the because you find out that she's the whole reason why everyone's there to begin with because she was working with Ryan because yep. his plan was to capture one of these fucking werewolves and the other team was supposed to be like a decoy <laughs> you know like this is what so this is why bitch. <laughs> this is why I question Megan's um, motivation like. If she knows that if she's a member of this family and she already knows that there's a bunch of wolves out here, why would she agree to help Ryan and his team try to capture one? Now, obviously, it's free food. That's the easiest answer. You know, it's free meat. (laughs) <laughs> you know, for the family to eat with no consequences either, because these these are soldiers. They're not from the area. There's probably not going to be an investigation. So it's literally a free one. meal. Huh? They only thought there was one. They also only thought there was one. Because that's, that's what Ryan, I mean. Like, that's the, yeah. Because that's Ryan, the, Ryan, Ryan thought yeah. there was only one. But if he thought there was only one, that's probably based on the intel that Megan gave him. Yeah, exactly. So Megan. So, yeah. Yeah, so Megan, oh, and and I agree, Megan's an absolute bitch, but she's a bitch in the best possible way. Like, I, I just, something is really satisfying about her heel turn, and then Wells just saying fuck it and planting one right between her eyes. Like, they're really, really cool. It, I agree with Don, it sucks that we didn't get our transformation, but this movie is so good, it doesn't need one. In all honesty, I'm very okay. This is one of the only werewolf movies with no transformation that I still absolutely loved. I fucking love yeah. this movie. Yeah. And this, ultimately I'll take no transformation over an awful CG transformation. Any yeah, fucking day of the week. Especially in like a, like in a movie like this where everything is so serious and be like out of left field. Yes. So like, yes. Yeah. Uh, like if you what? put like a, a bad moon style CG transformation in this, all the seriousness of the movie drains right out. Yeah. That's why I love uh, the director's yeah. cut of bad moon because they get rid of that CGI transformation. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Let's talk about this finale. I, I, oh God, wait, I, I have a note here that I have to bring up and it's, it's Holy the cringiest. No, it is the absolute cringiest fucking line in this whole movie. I'm actually mad at Neil Marshall for leaving this line in his movie. The line, there is no spoon. Oh, dude, I I literally, my brain died a little bit when I heard that fucking, and it's only two years removed from The Matrix. The Matrix was only two years before this, and he's ripping off lines from The Matrix. And I, I understand the comedy behind it, because there is a character named Spoon in the movie. But when Wells literally looks at Cooper and says, there is no Spoon, oh, I died a little bit inside. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's probably why this isn't a 10 out of 10 for Don. <laughs> that one damn line. No, it is. Uh, I saw this before the Matrix. I didn't catch that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a line from the Matrix. Yeah, I, uh, I, I saw this one before the Matrix, so I, I never caught it. Oh, that. that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if you didn't know it, then, yeah, you probably thought it was just a weird line, because why would Wells answer, where's Spoon, with there is no Spoon? You know, it probably sounds weird, but if you never saw the Matrix, yeah. it just doesn't come off cringy. I, I do count it as a 10 out of 10 anyway. Oh, no, well, I, I'm not arguing with you by any stretch of the imagination. For me, this is like a 9-9. This is like a 9.9. It's so close to perfection that it, it, you might as well just call it a 10. So I wouldn't argue if anybody did. I like how we get kind of two climaxes in this movie. You know, we, we get like um, the assault on precinct. 13 style siege from the family of werewolves and then this awesome massive gas explosion 
that takes out the entire cabin, all of the wolves, at least perceivably all of the wolves that are in the house all burn up to shit. And just when you think the movie is over and Cooper and Sam are going to just walk out of there and go home, bam, Ryan shows up. Ryan. Fucking Ryan. <laughs> Not only is that he David. back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not only is he back as full on werewolf, he still has a sword completely through his body that he was impaled with earlier in the movie when he first made his transformation. Uh, and by the way, we don't, again, we don't see that transformation. That transformation happens underneath the kitchen table. So it's like he goes down below the table, he's human, he comes up and he's full on werewolf, which, you know, again, I'm not going to knock it. It would have been great to see a transformation, but I still, any day of the week, will prefer no transformation to a bad one, so. Yeah, and, and this is crazy because this is when the other cold opening take comes together, too, with a couple at the beginning. Oh, right, yeah, we finally get the, literally in the opening scene of the film, uh, we get uh, one of the campers opening a silver letter opener, a solid silver letter opener, and instantly I'm like, oh, foreshadowing. And then, of course, it happens. Literally at the very end of the movie, Cooper finds the letter opener in the basement and stabs Ryan in the heart with it, which, you know, ends up taking care of him nicely. Um, so, yeah, like I said, the dual finales, I'm always down for that. And then the last thing is, well, there's two more things I want to talk about. One, the the werewolf POV shot. Uh, the point of view shot from the werewolves is in black and white, and I fucking love that. Yeah. Now, granted, canines are colorblind, but they're not totally colorblind. Like, dogs don't see in black and white. I'm okay with them using black and white here because, again, this is a whole new werewolf universe. They're establishing their rules. If these werewolves see in black and white, I'm okay with it. But their vision is great because even at night, they're seeing in their standard black and white vision, but it looks daylight. Yeah, you know, cause they're, they're able to utilize any light in, you know, in the area, just like a cat. You know, cats can see at night cause they utilize any light that's available. So the POV shot loved it. They used it the perfect amount of time cause I thought that they were gonna, uh, abuse it after, like when they first did it, I'm like, wow, that was cool. And I was worried that they were gonna abuse it, but they don't. They only use it a couple of more times in the film and it's perfect. It's flawless. Neil Marshall, just perfect decision-making. And then the last thing is the end credits. I love these end credits. Oh, with the pictures. Um, Throughout uh, throughout the film, we haven't really mentioned it, but throughout the film, Mason, or Megan, excuse me, our female character, has a camera. And she has the camera because the flash photography on the camera blinds the werewolves, you know, for like a second or two, you know, very briefly, like a flashbang or something. But then at the end of the film, Will uh, Wells, excuse me, Sean Pertwee's character, takes the roll of film out of the camera, gives it to Cooper and says, go tell our story. Of course, if you haven't seen the movie, Cooper does indeed escape the situation the werewolves perceivably are dead. Ultimately, the sun is out now. So even, you know, even if they weren't all dead, at least he doesn't have to deal with werewolves. Just, you know, maybe some rednecks, maybe. But then, yeah, the pictures that were taken on that camera are displayed throughout the closing credits. And it's fucking awesome. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Savage Land from a few years ago. Basically, it was a found footage movie, but the footage that oh, was yeah, found... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was still pictures, not video. Um, and then, you know, they kind of, as the movie goes along, the pictures get more and more disturbing until you finally get to that last picture of the little girl getting attacked and it's fucking just heartbreaking. That's kind of what these pictures felt like. Obviously not nearly as heartbreaking as the ones in Savage Land, but just to see these awesome pictures of these eight-foot-tall werewolves. Like, these are some of the nicest shots of the werewolf that you get in the entire movie, are these pictures at the end. And it's basically showing, uh, like Derek said, there's newspaper clips showing that Cooper survived. He's telling the story about the werewolves attacking his platoon. And, of course, he has the pictures to prove it. Now, obviously, in this world, in this day and age, even with picture proof, most people are probably going to look at it and say, oh, that's fake, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Cooper is probably going to just be deemed a madman or something. You know, who knows? Mm. But um, would, would he have the, would he have done that in 2002, though, 
because you can't look at it as today's standards. You would have had to have looked at it back then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they would have had to have taken the actual film and augmented the film somehow. It's a lot easier to use Photoshop today on digital images, obviously. Um, no, you've got a valid point, but I still, I still think a lot of people still would have considered them faked. I mean, don't forget. Yeah. Uh, halfway through this movie, some of the soldiers on this squad still didn't believe that there was werewolves. Literally, at this point, they've already been attacked. They've seen them. Um, and they're still did not like Spoon is like, no, that, that can't be werewolves. That's stupid. That's 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 fairy tale shit, even though he's already been attacked by one. So uh, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting aspect. But uh, yeah, a little bit of the background stuff. You know, we already talked about the cottage in Norway, that it was completely a sound set, a uh, sound stage. Excuse me. It was a sound stage out in Norway. One of the things that I really liked about this, I'm not sure if you guys watch this particular special feature, but there's a special feature with the set designer, Simon Bowles, and he actually shows Neil Marshall. Most people will draw their production design ideas. They actually made a 3D model, a miniature model of the cabin with removable walls and removable characters. That, like they had like little stand-in like army oh, action figures for the actors. And I think that's fucking brilliant because rather than using just the storyboards, Neil Marshall, his cinematographer, they can all look at this miniature and they can set up the shot. They can decide how the camera's going to move, um, how it's going to contrast to the actors in the room. And I just thought it looked amazing to use a miniature. Some productions use miniatures, but most use just hand-drawn storyboards. You know what I mean? Which is a lot easier. I'm not necessarily blaming anybody or saying that it's wrong. I'm just yeah. saying that for Neil Marshall and Simon Bowles to create this, to take the time to create this miniature and set up every single shot in the cabin on the miniature first. I'm not a filmmaker, folks, but it just sounds like a great idea to me, you know, rather than just doing it on paper and hoping that you have enough room for the camera and all the lights and all the actors and all the furniture and everything else. They can actually, you know, with the miniature, actually check that first. So I thought that was awesome. I mentioned that this is Neil uh, Neil Marshall's kind of love letter to the Evil Dead. He actually says so in the special features that he wanted to make something that felt that it had a DNA connection to the Evil Dead, which this movie absolutely does. I mean, this movie has a lot of homages throughout, you know, stuff like American Werewolf, uh, The Howling, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, Evil Dead, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can go Hell on and even on. has a connection to Hellraiser because it's from the same producer. Yes, the producer of the Hellraiser and Nightbreed movies also produced this one. So, yeah, we got some Clive Barker DNA in this. Oh, I wish Clive Barker would have worked on this. Not that, not to say he would have done anything oh, imagine, imagine better. Werewolves but. and like S and M leather werewolves with spikes in their faces. Yeah, right. I'm down. <laughs> this movie took six years to film, and that's from concept to finished product to post production. Um, Neil Marshall came up with the idea for this movie in 1995. And then in 96, he that's when he got his first bit of money. Like, he got his first producer to sign a contract saying, yes, I'm going to back this movie. So he looks at 1996 as the actual start of production, of pre-production for this. Because before that, they didn't even have a script. They just had a concept, soldiers versus werewolves. That, that In fact, that's what they were calling it, like on the, cl on the slates. Um, it actually said, you know, soldiers versus werewolves. That, that was like the tentative title or whatever. So, yeah, six years from concept to post-production. So, you know, for, for a movie that doesn't look like it's a, you know, multi-million dollar production, that's a long time. But, again, this is, you know, this is something Neil always wanted to do. I mentioned earlier how Neil didn't want American werewolf-style werewolves, you know, um, four-legged, animalistic uncontrollable savages like these the werewolves in this movie they can think they can plan like the, the fact that these guys actually like look for weaknesses in the soldiers um brigade look for weaknesses in the house like that th that shows a high level of intelligence you know even for a you know wolf man creature uh, but obviously the uh -huh. bed. <laughs> and then just pull, climbing up the rope and shit. <laughs> oh, <that was> awesome. <laughs> 
And then the last thing I'm going to say about the behind the scenes is that most werewolf movies, and we've talked about this on this show, most werewolf movies are sympathetic towards the werewolf. It's always about the curse of the werewolf, like with the original Wolf uh, Man movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even American Werewolf, The Howling, it's more about the curse of being a werewolf and how awful it is and how it destroys your life. This movie is unsympathetic. They don't give a rat's ass about the werewolves in these. In fact, we don't even see them in their human form in the film. You know, like I said, the whole family is werewolves the entire movie. So this is literally one of the most unsympathetic werewolf movies ever. This is literally just wild beasts. Uh, yeah, with obviously a high level of intelligence, but basically picking everybody off one by one. I mean, it's a slasher. <laughs> this is a werewolf slasher because these werewolves are so damn smart. I I would, you know, I, I would lean this towards slasher because, like I said, just the, the way that they attack the house, the way they attack the, the team, all of it. And like I said, there's not too many unsympathetic werewolf movies that we can really name. So I'm very glad that Neil did that with this one to give us a movie – because it's true. I I love creature features, folks, but I hate when I feel bad for the creature, which is nine times out of ten. You know, we've talked about it on this show before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. The creature in a creature feature is almost always a sympathetic character. It's not like they're purposely trying to destroy and kill. They're just a, a giant creature not really knowing what the hell is going on. Very Cloverfield-like, yeah. if you will. But this one, nope. These werewolves, they know exactly what the fuck they're doing, and they want to kill you. And not only do they want to kill you, they want to play with you. They want you to be as scared as possible, and then they fucking devour you. Like, all they leave behind is bones. I love that scene in the closet when they find the bone graveyard. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) And then they realize it was in the stew. Oh, God, that's right. As soon as they're like, oh, what kind of meat is this? Is this pork? This is pretty good. I'm like, ah, <laughs> terrible. Oh. oh, man. All right, folks. Well, I mean, that's all I have in my notes. That was all that I really wanted to bring up. Um, Don, Derek, anything else you guys want to chime in with before we get out of here? No, you did pretty good, man. You Venom strikes again. <laughs> And it's funny, too, because I I love this movie in, in like, a guilty pleasure sense. So I didn't didn't go crazy with the research. Like, you know, I basically just took it off the Blu-ray, which I think a lot of us podcasters do. We just grab it off the special features. But this movie is such a joy. It really is. It's an absolute triumph uh, for a werewolf movie. It's an absolute triumph for a Cabin in the Woods-style movie. It's an absolute triumph for an assault movie. It nails everything. I mean, Don is on point to say that this is his favorite movie and in his top te- uh, top 15 all time. Absolutely. Um, this movie is stellar, amazing performances. I mean, an hour and 45 minute movie that only has one cringy line in the entire thing is actually not bad, <laughs> considering the way yeah. horror goes in the t- in the 2020s, you know. So, yeah, I mean, damn Wallace. Uh-huh. And it's crazy, like it was like all like we said, like Sean Petrie would later do Gotham, <laughs> you know, yes. Liam Cunningham would do his thing in Game of Thrones, and Kim McKinnon is a man whore in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> was Liam Still Cunningham it? in um, Last Shift? Was that him? Yep. No, you're, that thinking, you're thinking of uh, no, you're thinking of another movie that's kind of similar to that. Oh, is that Ian Ian Glenn? No, or, the. the you're, the you're, the actor is right, but you're thinking of a different movie. Um, oh, it's not it, Last Shift. Yeah, it's. Um, Fuck, I, 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 I love this. It. I love that movie too. I do too. Yeah. Um, it, let us pray. Let us pray. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let us there's, pray. That's yeah, there's funny. let us pray because that's the um the there's other one where it's that yeah the um woman stuck alone at the police station and creepy shit starts happening. Right, yeah, right, it's the chick right. and the woman, Pollyanna McIntosh and Lincoln. That's right. 
All right, folks. Well, that is our discussion on Dog Soldiers, uh, Neil Marshall's masterpiece from 2002. What do you guys think of the film? Go ahead and chime in. Hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook. Let us know what you think. And if you have any suggestions for future movies, we are always open to suggestions. So once again, on behalf of Donna Nelly and Derek B., this is Mr. Venom thanking you so much for joining us on episode 23 of Creature Comforts. And I have no idea what we're going to do next month, but I'm sure we'll have a discussion right after this. So take no care, Marshall's folks. Marshall's Hellboy. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I wanted to chime in on that because um, you mentioned his career kind of went downhill from there. Now, I'm only speaking about Hellboy, the movie alone. I don't hate that movie. And I think the reason I don't hate it is because I was a hardcore comic book reader of Hellboy. I actually read Hellboy as a oh, comic I am too. book. Yeah. The Neil, the Neil Marshall Hellboy is closer to the comic book. Admittedly, the Guillermo Hellboy movies are better. They're better movies. They're better made, better directed, better written. But the Neil Marshall one is closer to the comic book because it's got the Queen of Blood in it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not perfect. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a good movie. What I am going to say is I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. I, I don't expect cinematic masterpieces from Neil Marshall every single time he, you know, he comes up. To I the can't back. even really say that of his fault either. Cause there was a lot of studio interference too with that. Oh, movie. for Hellboy. Absolutely. Yeah. Big time. I mean, yeah, you can't really say that with stuff like the Lair and the Witch movie, but with Hellboy, you absolutely can. So, um, sorry, folks, we went off on a little last-second tangent here for the show, Hellboy. but yeah. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Go ahead and say bye to the folks, gentlemen. Pork sausages, everybody. Ah, pork sausages. Mm. <laughs> Later. Later.